Hello, welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and back again is... Brian Zeno. Hello. Yes, so we had a double dose of John last month, but Brian mm-hmm. is back. Yes, I'm, I'm no longer snowed in. This uh, northeastern winter has been exceptionally unkind to my podcasting endeavors. So yeah. thankfully I am now dug out and uh, re- rejoined the outside world from behind my fortress of sol- un- un- unintentional fortress of solitude. Not that we really were buried in too much anyway. No, no, but but it's just, you know, it was just like, oh, hey, I want to do this. Oh, no, wait, it's blizzarding. Yeah, Crap. or it's supposed to be. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know why a lot of people were complaining about it the next day. Mm-hmm. I was thrilled. I'm like, wait, I have a day off of work? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm not shoveling out five feet of snow? Right. How is this a bad thing? It's not a bad thing, except it made us cancel all our plans. That's well, all I'm yes, saying. yes, beyond that, yes. Beyond that. So anyway, yeah. my point is, great to be back with you. Yes. Especially because we're doing uh, Captain Marvel number 25, which is... <laughs> yeah, so now is when the show, even though we changed the name at the beginning of the year, now is when the show actually does become the Ca- uh, Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, because right. we're talking about Thanos stuff. Yes, yes, we are... That does uh, not have Captain Marvel. does have Captain Marvel. It does have Captain Marvel. It does not have, have Adam Warlock, Warlock at all. Not even a cameo. Right, right. But this is this is issue two... Of the of what I think of as the Thanos verse. Oh, this is saga. Oh, this is issue one. Oh no, two two is Iron Man. Iron Man fifty five introduced yes. all of the uh, important concepts. You got Thanos. You got Titan. You got Mentor. You even got Eros, uh, the future uh, Star Fox, briefly. Um, and of course the blood brothers. The, uh, the blood brothers, blood absolutely. Brothers. So, so a lot of the important elements of the Thanos first were uh, first introduced in Iron Man fifty five, yes. which really they didn't belong there. It was almost like, well, we need to stick this stuff somewhere, Jim. Well, it's also because Starlin was doing that because if you look ahead here for the um, friends and enemies part, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Iron Man fifty six. He just happened to be the Jim penciler Starlin on... is doing that again. Right. And it even has to do with Thanos, <clears throat> although it's just a mention of him. It doesn't have okay. any appearance of him. So... It's still, it just, it really seems sort of like a, a thumb tacked on to the Iron Man book, as it were. But it sticks a little you bit, know? because I know there's an issue of Marvel Feature, which we're yes. going to do, do on the show eventually, yes, with that uh, is Chris actually... Matthews will be coming back to do that one, which is Iron Man and the Thing against Two the issues hence. Two issues hence. We have another issue of Captain Marvel after this, and then is uh, Marvel Feature number 12, I believe. Okay, that's what uh, it is. With, i got to check uh, my thing, schedule later. The Thing and Iron Man tackling the Blood Brothers in the desert. <clears throat> Yes, that is that is part of it. By the way, um, and you'll get into this a little later on when you want to talk about uh, when you talk about the reprints and everything. But if you really want a nice packaging of convenient packaging of the Thanos verse saga, as we're discussing it here as a single narrative thread, I cannot uh, uh, recommend highly enough the Th- uh, Avengers versus Thanos trade paperback. That it starts with Iron Man fifty five, collects all the Captain Warlock, all those little ancillary issues like the Marvel feature, eventually when it gets into uh, Adam Warlock's book, yeah. uh, Power Tales, of Warlock, um, and also the later uh, later issues of The Power of Warlock, yeah. you defi- um, it, it is all collected quite nicely right up unto and, and uh, including the big conclusion in uh, one of the Avengers annuals yep. and Marvel 2-in-1 annual number yep. 2. So my point is, if you're looking for the best single packaging of this entire saga, you can't do better than that particular trade paperback. It's a little large and hence a little expensive. Yeah, it is but a big one. worth it for you. And that is all I got. So All right. Okay, so. so. <laughs> we're going to drop in the synopsis. Yes. And then Brian and I, and probably a promo, and then Brian and I will be back right after that with the actual thoughts on the issue. So, I'd say stay tuned, but 
it's you're like, going to do that anyway. There's no channels here. Yeah. <laughs> you hit play. Just leave the play button playing. Yes. Thank you. Captain Marvel 25, A Taste of Madness, had a cover date of March 1973 and an on-sale date of December 19, 1972. Cover price of 20 cents. The writers Mike Friedrich, penciler Jim Starlin, inker Chick Stone, letterer John Duffy, uh, the colorist is unknown, editor Roy Thomas, cover art is by Jim Starlin and Joe Sinnott. This issue starts out with Cap being attacked by three nameless aliens. It's a brief fight which Marv wins, but before he can get any answers, they teleport away. Besides that, Marvel has noticed that he seems to have lost half his powers. Unknown to him, he's being watched by someone who the aliens call Master Lord. Master Lord wanted to know that and other information he believes Marvel possesses. He orders his Squadron S to begin Operation Cree Crusher. Right away, there's a knock at the door of Professor Savannah, friend to Rick Jones and Captain Marvel. When the professor answers it, he is shot by a police officer. Shortly afterwards, Marvell arrives at the professor's place. He wants the professor to see if his photon ray treatments, which was used to cure Rick Jones from intense pain, are the cause of his power loss and if anything can be done about it. Clanging his negabands together, the captain switches places of Rick in the negative zone. It is Rick who discovers the professor's body. He is immediately placed under arrest by the same cop who committed the murder. Not only that, but the officer has a witness who says they saw Rick commit this murder. This witness is Luann, Rick's current girlfriend and the professor's niece. Realizing he is being framed, Rick allows himself to be taken. Once in custody, he switches places with Marvell. Before Marv can investigate, he is attacked by several of his old foes, Ronan the Accuser, Megaton, Yon Rog, Namor, and several others, some of which are already dead. Finally, he is faced with two who claim to be his greatest foes, Rick Jones and himself. Not him, just himself, Marvel. <laughs> Apparently unable to deal with this, he switches place of a Rick, who promptly passes out. We then see the other Rick and Captain Marvel turn into the Super Skrull and another Skrull named Scrag. They also impersonated all of Captain Marvel's old foes. Monologuing their plans to each other, Scrag boasts that he was the one who figured out that due to Savannah's photon ray treatments, Marvell now converts sunlight into energy and thus loses half his powers at night. He disguised himself as the officer and killed Professor Savannah. It was all a plan to cause Marvell and Rick to go insane. Though the Super Scroll claims that Marvell was just beaten by the better fighter. Master Lord is using them to gain information from Marvel about the negative zone, which they believe they can now get using the mental probe helmet. However, they are interrupted by the voice of Rick Jones, who thanks them for explaining what the helmet is. From clues they carelessly left, like how run down the police station was, or that the officer was wearing his dress uniform when he arrested Rick, Rick knew all along was a trap. Now he has his answers, but he's still angry over the death of Professor Savannah. So is Captain Marvel, and they switch places that the captain takes on a super scroll, as Scrag runs away. Run away, run away, run away. The fight destroys the building around them, and it is the Super Scroll who emerges first. Assuming that Marvell is now dead, they teleport away before Rick Jones emerges from the rubble. The two men now have to figure out who Master Lord is, how to beat him, and why Luan betrayed them. Yeah. Calabac, Tassad. 
That is I, Darkseid. I command you to listen to the Who's Who podcast. Uncover the powers and weaknesses of the super friends so that I may destroy them. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Dittrick and Arisian, Woody Weeks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Who's who? The definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Available monthly at Aquaman Trine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher as part of the Fire and Water podcast. We back. We be ba- we be back, yo. Okay, and so we be street. Yo. Captain Marvel 25. <laughs> yes. Uh, cover dated March something or other. You know, I, I, I lost I track of March the year. March 73. 73, okay. I thought it was, I knew it was early 70s, but I didn't know if it was three or four or whatever. Okay, so. now since Captain Marvel's new, I figure I'm going to do a little background real yes. quick on Captain Marvel. Yes. Because I read, I decided in a kind of John M. Wilson obsessive style. Okay. To not just read Captain Marvel 25 and up for the issues of Thanos. Right, right. I went back and read all of Captain Marvel series. And I'm not talking about issues 1 to 24 only. I also read his two issues beforehand in Marvel Superheroes. Yes, where he was actually invented by, I believe... I know that, uh, uh, oh man, I, I, keep, wanting, was involved I keep wanting to call him Adam Austin, but it's not Adam Austin. It's um, Gene Colan was the artist on the first issue. I can't remember if it was Stanley or Roy Thomas. I know before too long, his running adventures were being written by Arnold Drake. Arnold Drake did it. There's a lot of people. Marv Wolfman did a few issues, mm-hmm. an issue or two. Well, that was a little later on. There's a lot. Of, yeah, yeah, but there's a lot of people. His, yeah. his title bounced but, back but, and forth. But that initial two-issue introduction to... Captain Marvel, uh, the agent of the Kree, and all, what was status quo number one for him? Um, his commanding officer, the absolutely douchebaggy Captain Jan Rog, his uh, love affair with Nurse Una, and um, his uh, impersonation of the late Dr. Walter Lawson, and his meeting of a certain young blonde female head of security by the name of Carol Danvers. All of that was covered. Yes, yeah, so in, anyway, in this initial spasm of Captain Marvelness. Yeah. So he first appeared in Marvel Superheroes number 12 and yes. 13. Mar- yes. Uh, so late 1967. Mm hmm. And then in May 1960, cover date May 68, he got his own title, Captain Marvel. Right. And that lasted until issue 14. Right. Which came out in June 6, which is cover dated June 69. Right. 15 came out in August 69, so there's a bit of a gap there. Okay. And then that lasted until issue nineteen. Was it a gap? Was it a gap? I mean, that was just. Did it go by monthly? Because that well, was really. Uh, uh, I know that. I know that. Well, back but it in, was. But it was monthly. Okay. Through fourteen, and the things that stopped in issue nineteen, December nineteen sixty nine. Right. I remember so that, that fits, was the initial. Right. I, I don't think so that, that was necessarily that a break. Is, I think. But they, that, fits, yeah. that works monthly though, because fifteen is August. Mm-hmm. Sixteen September. Okay. Seventeen is October. So they basically just missed July. Yeah, they July missed, six. They missed whatever July reason they missed the month, right. or it was a break, right. and then it came back until the mm-hmm. end of sixty nine. So you have that. That's the first run, and then he shows up in Avengers seventy two, mm-hmm. which is January nineteen seventy. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't come back until issue twenty of his own book, June nineteen seventy. So there's like six seven months where he is nothing. Mm-hmm. Now here's my question, and that's was, when it was bi monthly, and it lasted one issue. It was in was it one of those. 
Was it in one of those um, issues, uh, nine, like through 19, that initial 1960s run? Was it there? Because when we first meet Captain Marvel, he, uh, Marvel, he is, he looks like a Kree warrior. He has the Kree star suit. He has the green helmet. Yes, he does not um, have the costume we all think of him. And, and, and then, but, uh, you know, those of us who grew up in the 70s and really first became aware of him, the first time I really was aware of Captain Marvel as a Marvel superhero was actually in uh, 1980 or 81 <clears> when <throat> the death of Captain Marvel graphic novel. Oh, real quick, by the way, yeah. the first appearance was by Stanley and Gene Cole. Okay. So he is a Stanley character. Okay. Stanley written character. Coolio. But no, so my point is, so you always think of him wearing the red, blue, and yellow costume with the, a, with the hair sticking out the top like of the, the mask. That was the first dozen issues he had the Kree costume. But 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 he, he, he got the new, you know, because then it really fell off the rails in that initial thing. I mean, it got all sorts of like they really, they had this great strong thread of the devious Captain Yon Rog, who was jealous of of uh, Marvel's love of for Una, and kept plotting and scheming to frame or otherwise dispose of Marvel somehow, frame him as a traitor, basically during his exploits on the planet Earth. But um, and that was really strong stuff, and I loved that. Especially run. the fact that he was a spy, right, for the Kree on Earth. So while he had some sympathies for Earth, he actually wasn't. A good guy, so to right. speak. Right? No, he was he was an agent of a foreign he's of an invading a alien early, force. He's actually a very early anti-hero, I think. Yeah. Back then, because he's not supposed to be the hero. Mm -hmm. Also, one thing I found interesting: once they introduced Carol Danvers, mm -hmm. I was talking to John Wilson about this actually briefly on Facebook. Between her and uh, Nurse Una, his mm -hmm. actual girlfriend, yeah. we had a Silver Age girlfriend. And a Bronze Age girlfriend, because Carol Danvers is very much a Bronze Age yes. woman. Yes. Yes. I mean, we would not say. Obviously, it's older characterization, so you would not have that character written that way now and call right. it full, good and you know fully fleshed out. But for this the time, is not the Kelly Sue DeConnick Carol Danvers we're talking. You about. can see how it be, she became mm -hmm. that because she was still she was strong, strong from tough the get go. Yeah, she was a security chief on a military base. Yeah, absolutely. You can't be a little wallflower. Right. On the other hand, Nurse Una was very much a Silver Age girlfriend. Yeah, the shrinking she, violets. Oh, save me, Marvel! Oh no, he's being nice to this other woman. That is. I mean, he has feelings for her. What does that mean for me? Yeah. Oh, I feel. Yeah. Faint. No, I didn't care for her very much. I was just very but much into the into the. It was very interesting, and she was almost like she wasn't a character. She was a thing. Yes. She was a thing yes. that Marvel had that Yon Rog wanted. wanted exactly. But it was really weird to see both versions there, because like for characters who've spanned the Silver to Bronze Age, like Spider Man, his girlfriend's in the Silver Age: Betty Brant, Liz Allen, mm -hmm. even you know early Gwen Stacy. Yes. When they are used later on in the Bronze Age, uh -huh. they are different. They are not like these. Things to possess that they were early they, on. They had they, you know, um, they, they internal their lives of their they own. They developed the characterization and made them more than just, I revolve around you. Yeah, I was like actually... Like Storm in the Fantastic Four. But here we had both of them at once. And that was just fascinating to me. Very brief uh, side uh, topic, just very briefly. That was something I was thinking about actually just this past week as I was rereading, starting to reread the J. Michael Straczynski run on Amazing Spider-Man. Okay. Which was always one of my favorites, despite all the controversy, despite all the, the, the blowback that he got for storylines like Sins Past or um, The Other or One More Day... I genuinely like all of it, and I'm thinking, and I'm always trying to analyze why is that, why is that, why is that, and I think you hit upon something right there, and the difference between, 
Like, Silver Age was one thing. Bronze Age took a step towards this. Exactly. JMS really threw it into sharp relief in a way I'd never read in a comic book before. What made that so captivating to me was that all of Spidey's big-time supporting characters, namely at this point um, um, Aunt May and Mary Jane, but also the new ones that he uh, uh, introduced, like, say, Ezekiel Sims, they all seemed on the page to have internal lives and existences and thoughts and feelings that were separate from Peter. They didn't just exist as extensions of Peter's character. You could believe in them as fully existing, independent yeah. human beings of their own. And that was such a, a new thing then, and something that, as you point out, um, Marvel had been groping towards for a couple of decades yeah, at that point. they've been working... I mean, every couple of years, you could see mm-hmm. it get things like that progress more mm-hmm. and more. But, like, and also, if you read stuff like Fantastic Four, you could see that from Sue Storm from issue one is not the same Sue Storm in issue 100 or 200 or Absolutely. 300 John or Burns, currently. John Burns' Sue Storm is a completely different being from... Uh, uh, the, the Lee and Kirby Sue Storm. And, you know, while you can see the path that got you still, here... They still do change her a bit, but yes, he's a very, you know, over the top. We won't even talk the 90s Sue Storm with the cutout four in her costume. We're not talking about that at all. That doesn't exist. I don't, I don't mind that so much. <laughs> anyway, but I will say one thing, though, on the Spider-Man before we go, go off that tangent yes, yes. and back into the regular, is that I will say that is one of the only times I wasn't sitting there reading the book going, Spider-Man going, God, why isn't it made dead yet? I know. Well, because all of a sudden she was a real person and not just this albatross-led weight around Peter's neck. Yeah. I agree with you. But anyway, I agree with you. but we've digressed. I just wanted to get. We can I just talk Spider-Man to say, some other time and something right. else. But but you, I'm saying your your point yes. about Bronze Age versus Silver Age girlfriends very well taken. Just, Back to Captain Marvel. You just never see somebody have one of each. I was at the same time. Even when I see the logo and it says Captain Marvel. I've been reading enough of it now that I always say in my mind and occasionally out loud, Captain Marvel. Yeah. Now, anyway, <laughs> so his issue, his book ended with issue nineteen. We can mm-hmm. say de- definitely in June nineteen seventy. And at that point, he had been transformed sorry, to the red and blue. Sorry, Captain December nineteen sixty nine. And yes, he was transformed to red and blue around issue fourteen or fifteen okay. of his own title. Mm-hmm. He was already bonded to Rick Jones as well. Oh, really? In fact, I'm pretty certain from remembering, but I'm pretty certain Jan Rog was already dead, and they actually already had the accident. We don't see it here. It mm-hmm. happens in her own title, Miss Marvel. Right. But there already was the accident that caused Carol, Carol Danvers, Danvers to absorb to some of powers. his Kree power. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the whole Rick Jones... Well, as we go through this issue, I'm going to get more into the whole Rick Jones and the Negabands yeah. so, uh, issue. So we'll get into that. His book ended with issue 19, January, uh, December 69. Uh-huh. He shows up in an issue of Avengers, Avengers 72, January 70. And I want to say real quick about that, that issue. It was one of the most thrilling things for me to read. Mm-hmm. Because going back to when I started reading comics and just having them, like some people randomly, mm-hmm. I had an issue of the official handbook of the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. It was the last one. Like the last, it was like one of the last issues of regular, before like, I think they did like the dead and deceased and, you know, power and weapons. Right. So it had, it was like XYZ. Mm-hmm. So it had the X-Men, which is one of the reasons probably why the X-Men is one of the earliest titles I read. Because I always was reading this thing with showing like the little faces of all the characters, show, you know, when right. they joined and everything. Yeah. So I'm always wondering like, oh, who's this changeling guy? He looks cool. Yeah, never, yeah. almost <laughs> never appears. Yeah. But anyway, they also had the Zodiac, mm-hmm. who I thought was cool. And there was this cool image of the Zodiac, which I've never seen before. Until this issue, uh-huh. it's that was it was it was originally from uh, Avengers number seventy two. Yes, wow. Which I might even say, yeah. Which I'm probably going to put up on our um, yeah 
I'll put up on the Tumblr page. So that's, that's the original Zodiac. Yeah. So I was like, oh my god. It's kind of like when you watch a, start watching a show. It's already been on. Mm-hmm. And you start watching a show. You're enjoying it. And all of a sudden, one day, you see a scene that's in the opening credits. And you're like... I know that. Yeah, I'm so familiar with that. Well, that's where it came from. That's where that's from. And so for me, it was that same thing. So I was very excited by that. But anyway, so he was in there. (laughs) The little things. He was in Avengers 72, January 1970. His book doesn't come back until issue 20, which Uh is June 70. They kept trying. And it was a bi-monthly book and lasted one more issue. It so it was be, two issues, and then it was gone again. It needs to be pointed out by the cynic in me that at this point... If it had been any other property, Marvel probably would have given up on the idea and not tried so hard but to keep bringing name. it back. But because they desperately wanted to maintain the, the ownership and copyright on the name Captain Marvel, they did, they refused to give up on this guy. Which And we're the better for it, but it, the cynic in oh, me does need to point out it wasn't just, that it was a business decision and a lot of other characters in the same situation would not have been so fortunate. Because it wasn't just the costume change that happened. Uh-huh. Before the costume change, he already, by issue 10 or 11 was completely separated from the Kree at that point. Mm-hmm. He was completely branded a traitor. Mm-hmm. yon Rog had him completely on the ropes. He, Una was dead. Yeah, yeah, that whole He's, weird issue with, e, like, episode he, with Eon on a string. It wasn't Eon, it was, some, it was Zor. Zor, yeah, was, whatever. Something yeah. like that. He ends up on another planet, and this guy gives him extra powers. Yes. <sighs> and he's basically going to serve this guy, as long as this guy enables him, you know, in exchange this guy lets him have revenge on yon Rog. And it, that's very much a supervillain origin, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So they do an issue or two of that, and then, it, then they change that again, and it turns out that... There was a plot by Ronan the Accuser and Jan Rog or somebody else to try and take over the Kree government, and he helped save the Supreme Intelligence. And in a way, that's sort of laying the seeds for the soon-to-come Kree Scroll War. Yes, and that's when actually <clears throat> the Supreme Intelligence gives him his new costume, right? And basically lets him go off as a free agent, yes. so he's not a traitor anymore. Then he gets bonded. Then he gets bonded to Rick Jones. Yes. And I don't actually when he gets bonded, Rick Jones, we don't even see him go into the negative zone. It was in between issues. He was flying back one day, one issue, and then at the beginning, the next issue, he's already trapped in the negative zone, and needs to switch with Rick. And then that's when his title got canceled. Poor Rick Jones. It needs to be pointed out that for all that people complain about the you know poor treatment of women during the Silver Age, and you know how they were just things, they were just objects, they were just um, plot conveniences. So was Rick be- Jones. Rick Jones had it worse than any of them because he was not just a thing, an adjunct, a peril, you know, uh, a thing in peril. He was that for no less than three different superheroes by 1970. This poor guy. I mean, he had it worse than any of these women, so. And a super team as well because he was in, even when the Hulk was gone, he still like the first dozen or so issues of Avengers. Of Avengers, right. So you've got, so the Hulk, the Avengers, Captain America, and Captain Marvel. And he was, oh man, anyway, poor Rick Jones. So anyway, at this point now, he shows up again in Avengers from mm-hmm. issue, during the Kree Scroll War. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And actually, in the beginning of the Kree Scroll War, they separate him and Rick Jones. Okay. They get separate. So the whole time in the Kree Scroll War, they are separate char- They are completely separate from each other. Mm-hmm. Then they get rebonded at the end because right. that's how we say Rick Jones was dying and he saves him. Right. And then they're rebonded. And then we don't get another Captain Marvel until issue 22, which comes out in September 72. Relaunches his so own sort of run. That was about a year later. Right. And actually, in that time, Rick Jones is still appearing in Avengers, mm-hmm. mostly without Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel appears in issue 106 and 108. Okay. But from, like, issues 98, which is the end of, right after Critical War, till that time, Rick Jones is, again, 
I really wish they would. You know what? I almost wish they weren't doing making Rick Jones everyone's sidekick because it mm-hmm. kept pulling him away. Because I kind of like the idea of him as like an Avenger, mm-hmm. but a non-powered, non-costumed one even. Yeah. Because he's he participates, and it's not just he's a supporting character. Where he hangs out in most of those issues. He's an active participant with them, fighting alongside them. Yeah. And I kind of dug that. Okay. Especially since when we get these issues with Captain Marvel, Rick Jones gets kind of whiny and bitchy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from based on what you said just now, I, you know, it's understandable also, but, like, he's always whining. Oh, Captain Marvel, why are you leaving me in the negazone for an hour while you find the supervillain? Then, you know, five minutes later, oh, yeah, Captain Marvel, it's been six weeks. I guess maybe I should let you out at some point. Yeah, he's 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 really kind of a, a resentful bitch, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> but then again, also, my real introduction to Rick Jones was Peter David's run of Incredible Hulk. Mm-hmm. He's older mm-hmm. and he's more mature and he's used to dealing with this stuff yeah and he takes it in stride because that's the way peter david looked at it he said is like this guy's been everywhere and done everything it's like nothing surprises him yeah and he's just used to rolling with it and i remember because i forget until like you actually see some of these ish- images of rick jones you can see he's really still a teenager yeah he's like 17 years old so and and that's again i have barely supposed to be on his own i have thoughts on that I as mean, it pertains to specific stuff in this looking issue, at but... him he's like He's like got to be barely 17, 18, because otherwise, if he's any younger, which he could be, could have been, mm-hmm. you're gonna have major issues with the Avengers letting him just walk out on his own. It's like, dude, you're letting like a twelve year old go off on his own. You're douches. <laughs> but since he's seventeen, eighteen, it looks like he's supposed to be, I guess, seventeen, eighteen. I can accept mm-hmm. that at that point. Yeah, that's an adult. Mm-hmm. Even if you're seventeen, they're considering you an adult in nineteen seventy. Oh yeah, for sure. So for he sure. can go off on his own and do stuff. So that's where we are mm-hmm. with now Captain so Marvel. So this would 25. be the fourth issue of his current series yeah, as it and were and it's like second or third writer okay yeah already yes on this on the second or third writer since he came back so, with 22 do you happen to know off the top of your head because i know that at this stage of marvel history they had a mike friedrich writing for them and a gary friedrich were they related i have no clue okay just wondering just something i always wondered. I didn't think about that i know mike friedrich is right one writing this and he's exactly also, that's why i bring it up that was ap- not apropos of nothing that's yes. mike friedrich is in fact the writer on this issue and he's actually also the writer on a good half i'd say of the warlock issue so it's mm-hmm. kind of funny that that works out that we have a similar same writer yes. on a lot of the issues same same uh uh the same creative team to a certain extent. And we have Jim Starlin mm-hmm. doing pencils here. Yes. So we actually He wasn't yet like a writer artist. No. Although he would very soon become so. But Oh, actually issue 26, he's the plotter artist. He's the plotter artist. Exactly. So he's already starting to expand his influence and take over, but as with Iron Man 55, which was also written by Mike Friedrich. Yeah. Um, and only came out about a month before this. Right. Um, so so now the Thanos verse has been introduced, and apparently Marvel likes it because they're letting Starlin, because um, this is clearly Starlin's baby from oh, yeah. the get go. They're letting him just sort of spread his uh, mythos around as willy nilly as he wishes. Now we actually get to the actual issue itself. Yes, but this is the kind of brief issue. It's not going to take that long. No, 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 no. It's not. There's not a lot of of meat here, and although there is a lot of stuff that may sort of unintentionally amused me. We're going to get into that. So that's why I figured this, this was a good one to talk yeah. about the history of him. because sort of in, in, So we look at the cover, and it's uh, it's still in that early 70s cover art 
like unlike the 60s and what would soon like return as the status quo the the cover isn't a full page image with the logo laid on top of it the cover art image is confined to a box in the lower like sort of two thirds yes. of the of the cover that was something that was very much a 71 72 73 thing actually this is and this is definitely towards the end of it because earlier when they did this in the bronze age mm-hmm. where you, you can see in a lot of the earlier issues of Warlock. Mm-hmm. It was a full box. There was, yeah. a, there was actually a border on the bottom. Mm-hmm. What it would be is that the cover would be the top third. Let's say the cover. The, would the have, logo would, would have, have the logo, top right, and it would have one, a one color background. Mm-hmm. And that color also would go around the sides and the bottom, and then in between would be like a peg, big panel show. Yeah, right, and the then cover. you'd have and then you'd have a caption in big thick letters at the bottom. Yes, under the box, the image box. Later on, Here, what they did it was just the top third was. The was up the logo over the over the single color background, and then the bottom, and then the bottom two, two, thirds, two thirds is the image, the whole, and that's thing. what you're dealing with here. And, and it's, then pretty soon, in a few more months, they'll just stop doing that completely. And 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 here on the cover, you have the 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 shouty. I, I'm sure there is a technical term for these this, this jagged edged uh, balloon that the you know uh, caption box. Oh yeah, um, I'm but, sure there's a technical term, no, but I've never known what it is. So it's a spiky balloon that says "New, the greatest battle issue ever," and I only bring that up. Because much like in the early 60s, this issue, particular issue, seems more concerned with most Marvel comics at this particular era with stressing to the reader how much action, fighting, battle there is in this issue. It's like, man, if all you want is punching and fighting and action and Etc. 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 Then clearly this issue is beating you over the head with the fact that this is the issue to plonk down your twenty cents for. Because yeah, basically the theme song for uh, Itching Scratchy. <laughs> they fight and fight and fight and fight and fight and fight. fight, and fight, fight, fight yeah. Fight. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's just uh, we're gonna. And I'll look, I'm only bringing it up now because we will revisit it very shortly. But greatest also- battle issue ever. Also, this kind of really does make me think of the Marvel Premier Number One cover mm-hmm. because. Like Adam, you have Captain yes. Marvel de- straight in the middle, mm-hmm. and on both sides you have one side you have both sides. The Hulk, have, yeah. Well, yeah. I was saying not just the Hulk, but you have the two of the biggest characters he's faced before. For right. Adam Warlock, it was the Hulk and Thor. And Thor. And here it's actually wait, he hadn't faced the Hulk yet. In that I point. don't think he's met the. Now I'm looking at so, the basic image. The basic image is Captain Marvel getting ready to fight back against a slew of other characters who are coming at him with their fists. And I recognize many of these characters, the Hulk, the Submariner, Ronan the Accuser, um, and, and one of those, I believe they're called Archons or something yes. like that from these are all, the old pre-run, right? These are not just random I don't ones. recognize the rest of them. Yeah, well, they're in the issue, but they're in the issue. Okay. But these are all characters he's faced before. Okay. But yes, like Adam Warlock, it's him in the center, and then the two main ones are two main Marvel ones, Hulk and Namor. Yes. Adam Warlock had Hulk and Thor, though I realize actually that Adam Warlock hadn't faced Hulk at that point. He hadn't, I thought, no, the Hulk was there because of the high evolutionary uh, uh, tie-in. Tie-in, that's probably why. That's, that's what was up with that. Yes. Um, so, it was, so it was sort of a, um, it wasn't false advertising. The Hulk did have a reason to be there. Yeah, but, but more so for this one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I like the cover. Mm-hmm. Not just the fact that it's, you know, makes me think of that cover, but I enjoy it. It's a good cover. It was a good cover the first time I saw it. Now, having read this issue a few times, uh, I do have to say that, that the whole, like, yes, a lot of fighting, a lot of people hitting each other, like, is kind of a, a unintentionally amusing to me. But again, that's sort of 2020 hindsight. In and of itself, it's a, it's a fine cover. And it continues on with the first page. Because exactly. It's all, it's 
at again we start immediate res. Adam's already. I keep saying Adam. <laughs> I know. No, Captain Marvel is Marvel already is like already punching things, people. He's fighting aliens. Aliens, and we get the box which says, and I quote: "Nope, Captain Marvel freaks, you haven't missed anything, so this is not continued from the end of last issue. No, God, no. We just know what you like, Colin." Action again, just saying. Not a whole lot of nothing going on here. Just fighting. I just realized just action. The way they write action with the mm-hmm. exclamation point and it's kind of curved. The yeah, underneath, with, that's very much looks like the uh, logo for Action Comics. Yeah. Oh. I oh. Mean, the, it's not the the letters aren't blocked. They're just regular print. But that's mm-hmm. the way that usually the I, I remember that's the way the logo is usually formed. It's like there's like they're kind of curved with the line underneath. Mm-hmm. Now it needs to be pointed out. That you read enough Silver and Bronze Age Marvel comics, and you do sort of get used to the rhythms of the writing. I mean, Stan Lee had a very definite style, and one of the reasons that Roy Thomas succeeded him as the writer of almost everything is that uh, he was very able to ape Stan's style while expanding it very naturally in a direction of his own. I actually prefer Roy Thomas's writing to Stan's nine times out of ten. You do get very used to a certain style, a certain rhythm to the way Marvel comics are written in this uh, period of time. The reason I bring that up is right out of the gate here, uh, the feeling of the writing is different. You know, this Mike Friedrich character who, uh, who who's writing uh, Captain Marvel number 25 oh. here, right here already out the box, he, he starts with, Marvel, man of the Cree, longed for rest. And I'm thinking, okay, this is already feeling like a like a weird kind of a thing. Well, and that makes sense because, like you said, Roy Thomas succeeded Stan on everything pretty much. So mm-hmm. Stan's doing pretty much everything for the first few years of the mm-hmm. 60s. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> then Roy Thomas comes in as a writer. So now Roy's covering him for Stan and giving Stan a break on half the titles. Right, pretty say. much. Pretty much at one point, like by the time you get but to the end it, of the sixties, by the time you get to the end of the sixties, Stan's writing Amazing Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, and Thor. And Roy's pretty much writing everything else. And now, at this point, at the beginning of the Bronze Age, you start getting other people writing. You start getting Mike Friedrich, Gary Friedrich. Um, Arnold Drake. Arnold. Um, but on a more regular basis. I mean, we already had Larry Lieber doing stuff. Yep. you got Jerry Conway Before, starting Jerry to write Conway, around this Steve time. Steve Englehart, Steve yes. Gerber. Because mm-hmm. actually... Steve Englehart, Steve Gerber, mm-hmm. yeah, Jerry Conway. So you have these reg- these guys and this who are coming is- as regular, and these aren't just one you know one and done things or a couple fill-ins. They're being regular. So now we actually have an expansion of different creative forces. And it also needs to be pointed out this was also the time in Marvel's history when they were giving tryouts to some to some of the DC's castoffs. I distinctly remember it was around this time uh, Gardner Fox was writing some of Doctor Strange's stuff. Yep. And um, also uh, there was an issue of K- Kazar, I believe it was, uh, which had an angel side, or a side story about Angel of the X-Men written by Jerry Siegel. Oh. So, uh, like, more than one of DC's, like, old-timey cast-offs was sort of uh, getting some freelance work from Marvel at this time as well. But you're right. The, 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 the roster of writers is expanding. It's just Mike Friedrich's style is so different from what you're used to in a Marvel comic at this time. Um, and I'm not sh- so sure in a good way. It's like, if I'm coming up with adjectives to describe this style, it's, it's almost stilted, Mm. um, almost artificial. It doesn't have that sort of gung-ho, natural, um, telling your buddies a story about a good punch-em-up 
feel yeah. Stan and Roy had mastered, and that Jerry Conway was pretty good at, too, by the time he was getting into uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Um, I think you very much are getting... Uh, Mike Friedrich, it's just it's going for this sort of mythic, stentorian uh, tone, but it's just coming off as sort of uh, uh, fakey, I guess. Okay. So anyway, that is an ish, uh, issue, a complaint I'm going to have... Pretty much going forward in this issue, so I'll lay it out there now and let it uh, sit there, and and there you have it. I actually think of writers also, we had another one who wasn't a regular, regular writer, but he Mm -hmm. had several stories he did around Mm -hmm. this time, and I'm blanking on his name right now, of course. Um, He's a sci-fi writer... He wrote Star Trek Sitting in the Edge of Forever. Oh, uh, Harlan Ellison. Harlan Ellison. He has, I don't think he actually is, scripted anything. I think they used some of his... Well, he co- he's a co-wrote he, or plotted, but he, he did... Because there was an issue. Avengers 101 is his story of him, but it's him and Roy Thomas. Mm-hmm. I know he does some The Hulk Beast stuff. that Shouted Love at the Heart of the Atom was... Yeah, those are the Hulk ones. He's, some of the Hulk stuff he now, did. Now, to be honest, though, I'm not sure if Harlan Ellison was actively involved in that one, like where Marvel said, hey, come plot this issue for us, or if they merely... Um, Paid him for the rights to adapt the Beast that Shouted Love at the Heart of the World, which is one of his or, great late sixties uh, sci-fi stories, um, into an Avengers type oh, okay. uh, Hulk type thing. So maybe I, I don't know how. But far either that way, that's goes. when I, you see yeah. his name several times. Absolutely, in this era. absolutely, you do. So that's page one. Yep. Um, so like I said, it's just fighting there. So so he's fighting. Um, you know, and they're aliens. He doesn't. It, it, they, they point out, yet he knows not who assaults him, nor, for that matter, why. But these are rational questions, and Captain Marvel doesn't think him, for think them, for he is what he is. A fighting man. It's like, see, you see what I'm getting at yeah. here? It's like this whole, like, representation of, he is the man of the Kree. He is a fighting man. This is what he does. He does not think he fights. Is he Scottish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I shall show you what for my laddie. But, I will say, I like that first panel, though. That's a nice, that, I like that one, with also the fact that it's not a panel. He's actually breaking into the next one. And that, and you see, that's where I want to, like, sort of dig into this, is because my complaints here are entirely with Mike Friedrich's scripting or with the words that Mike Friedrich is actually causing letter uh, Duffy uh, I don't know Duffy who but Duffy um, to actually place on the page this is all on Friedrich in terms of the visual storytelling this is some good stuff like like in terms of shot choice and layout this is some really good stuff and Going forward in future episode, uh, episodes, listen to me, in future issues of Captain Marvel, as you literally watch Jim Starlin elbow Mike Friedrich out of the picture and take <laughs> over the book entirely, I have to say this is that will not be an unwelcome development. That will be something that I, as a reader, will greet with relief. But unfortunately, that's still in the future. We're still stuck with Friedrich for this issue. So, carrying on. Yeah, so anyway, there's more fighting here, and we also get, I like that. Is that just me, or is that a chubby robot? That is a chubby... I, is it a robot? Is he it an empty it battle suit? Um, yes, yes. And this is the first uh, time we heard we hear Master Lord reference. Yes. X7 to Master Lord reporting. Exploratory exercise completed. Results satisfactory. You know, it's like, okay, Prepare yes, Master to Lord. transmit, and the next page, they all teleport away. Boom. And when I first read this, actually, I thought it was the Impossible Man was somehow involved in this. I know, because of all the popping. Yeah. <laughs> they teleport away, you just get these little... Pop uh-huh. sounds, and that was always the Impossible Man's little thing when he transformed. Mm-hmm. He would mm-hmm. make pop sounds. So anyway, so they go away. They don't know, and of course we get Rick Jones whining. Yes, and this is now we. I personally, this is the first issue of Captain Marvel that I'm really reading. Um, like I said, I eventually went on to read all the pre pre uh, 
uh, pre-show stuff, as you will, yeah. um, like from the 60s. But at this point, I'm looking at this. So this is really the first, my introduction and the reader's introduction, if this is the first issue you've bought, uh, uh, to this whole dynamic, this this common a mechanic of Captain Marvel apparently talking to himself. You've got the disembodied head, giant disembodied head of Rick Jones. Because he's in the negative zone. And you just right. hear, like, Captain would just hear him in his head. Next to him in the panel, basically yelling at him. Basically, it's like Firestorm from DC. <laughs> Which I'm not familiar with. Fire, oh, you, I don't know if you remember from the Super Friends show when mm-hmm. he was on that. Firestorm was a character. Was he on Super Friends? The later ones. The, uh, I, I, I only remember like the core group. The later episodes when they fought Darkseid and stuff. The core group plus, oh god, what was he called? Chieftain? Um, Apache Chief? Apache Chief, you yeah. know. Firestorm is a character that actually was formed out of two other characters merging together. Oh, okay. And one, um, Professor Stein and Ronnie Raymond, who was like a teenager. Or okay. like a really co- young college student and a, college, a professor, Professor Stein. They would merge together and Ronald, Ronnie would be the main consciousness. He would be in charge of Firestorm. He would be the one controlling everything. But Professor Stein, like this, would be in his head talking to him. So they would have conversations with each other sometimes and it would look like he's talking to himself. Mm-hmm. Okay. But he's talking to Professor Stein. Same way with Rick Jones and Captain Marvel, though they switch. But again, when he's Captain Marvel, the same thing because they're talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Now, but you only see the one because there's only one in charge of the body. Now, here on page three in panel two, I really have a problem here. I'm sorry, it's panel one. It's just it's, it's takes up the whole width of the page, so I thought it was panel two. The first panel on page three here, the 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 aliens teleport away, and. And, you know, Captain Marvel says, oh, they, they've left by some manner of teleportation, I guess. I'm giving him clearly this 1970s uh, Super Friends yes. sort of voice. Um, Tonight's advert mysteries deepen and suggest an unseen opponent. And, you know, he goes, and then, obviously, Rick Jones chimes in. And Captain Marvel actually responds, who? Oh, Rick Jones. It's like... How much of an airhead are you that you, at this point, you don't know when Rick Jones is talking well, to you? Like, you actually have to physically remind yourself at this point? I think at this point, also, with the Captain Marvel I mean, series, they probably had to go with... It's not just the way of Jim Shooter says every issue is somebody's first. Right. But they probably were going the way Captain Marvel's restarted every every time. is mm-hmm. Everyone is... This issue is the first issue. Mm-hmm. They're probably treating every issue like it's the first issue. And therefore, everything has to be fully introduced because... You have to assume that no one has read it before. No, I completely agree with that, and I completely <laughs> know that that's the reason that they're going for it. reading it before. It's, yeah, it it's, just, it's, it's, it's a clumsy iteration of that need, in my opinion. Well, because, yeah, right, the next panel, you get Rick Jones saying, right brainchild, stuck in the negative zone, so we know where he mm-hmm. is. So it's, it's, it's a little clunky and clumsy at this point, but whatever. And we get the Master Lore at the bottom, and mm-hmm. of course it's obviously... Spoilers. It's obviously Thanos. But it's not to me personally. Um, all Because you get this... Well, because the close that's up, the only reason we're doing the issue. Right. No, I realize <laughs> that. But, but you know, it's like right here on page three, you don't know it's Thanos yet. Even if you know who Thanos is, like, for me at this point, the giveaway for Thanos is that, is that scroll-like chin yeah. of his, which is... Uh, conveniently blocked by the speech balloons here. So all you get in the last panel on page three is this close-up of this gnarly, wrinkle-lipped mouth, which is actually a little grossing out. It's very horror comic-y. Actually, the funny thing is, I've read... I haven't had a chance to read much past this one. I've read Mm -hmm. 26. In 26, they do everything... They actually tell you it's Thanos. Mm -hmm. But whenever they show him, they're still doing it like this, where they don't show him. It's like a surprise. But it's really funny. It's like... The whole... I'm not sure. Maybe it was an issue of scripting and plot. Mm Mm-hmm. But we'll see when we get to that one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they, they tell you, it's Thanos in charge. And mm-hmm. then you see the guy in charge, and it's all again shadowed and hidden. Yeah, and it's, it's like, like, well, I saw the reason So why. if you hadn't read Iron Man 55 specifically, 
they're just going to say Thanos over and over, and you're going to go, who? But then at that point, why not show him? Because it's not like it's a reveal. Right, right, exactly. It's, it's just fun. We'll get to see that one get to it, but it's funny. So now we have Professor Savannah. Who I guess who I get from the captions is a character that we had already met in the Captain He's Marvel in the last book. few issues, and I know obviously why they introduced him because his name is Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. And if you go up since because they had they have the rights to at least publish Captain Marvel books, right? And of course, there is the famous Captain Marvel, the one mm-hmm. from the '40s with a lightning bolt on his chest, uh-huh. who would say Shazam and change into Captain Marvel and from Billy name, Batson. Yes, and his main enemy was Professor Savannah, S I V A N A. Oh. and they introduced a few. They introduced, like around issue 20 or 21, a Professor Savannah. Isn't that... Spelled like Savannah, Georgia. Cheeky of them. And I guess either Mike or um, Jim did not like that because they kill him here. Yes, he is murdered unceremoniously by a uh, police officer in, I love, not early 70s police officers in, like, dress uniform with, like, the... The, 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 the three buttons the, 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 bu- the buckle across, like, tunic and yes. the badge. He's and the uncle or grandfather, I forget which, of... Uncle. Lu- of Luann, who Luan. is Rick, was Rick Jones's, I guess you could say, girlfriend. Yes. And yeah, and we're going to get into that, too, you know? Reading this, actually, you can almost see... It's almost like a, a practice some people complain recently mm-hmm. of... Like, a lot of times when things were being written for the trade, and you would get, like, a writer coming in for, like, a trade or two, and then mm-hmm. going away, and come, and someone else, they would introduce things and make things happen, and people mm-hmm. like, oh, this is cool, and then they get the next person, like, six issues later, and he would wipe everything out and start over again because mm-hmm. he didn't like that. That was more happening, like, in the early part of this century, like, the early right. 2000s. This almost feels like that. It's yes. like, Mike and Jim are here, I'm like, we don't like this. Let's get rid of it all. And I, you know what? I'm fine with that now. Like, at the time, if I had been a kid reading this, it might, I might have been, and I was, like, into buying this every month, that might have irritated me. But now, not only am I less needful of a strong uh, continuity, per se, like, right now I am digging, 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 digging in the strongest possible way on the Matt Fraction Hawkeye series. Oh, yeah, I love that. Even, like, like, seriously, one of my favorite things going um, even though it does not fit into anything else Hawkeye is uh, involved in in any conceivable way, shape, or form, I'm fine with that, though. Well, because it's such a good story. It's like, give it to me anyway. I don't care. Yeah. Well, also, in the fact they always say in the beginning of the issue, this is what happens when he's not with the Avengers. Right. So you just don't have to know when it's happening. You just know it's in between, you know, in between Avengers when he's At not there. At some point. When he's not there at Avengers Mansion, when you don't see Hawkeye, he's doing this. Yes. Just don't worry about which issue specifically. Just know it's in between. Right. And I'm saying, and but I'm saying it also doesn't share a feel or even like 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 a world almost with anything else that Hawkeye's involved yeah. in. But my point is, I'm fine with that. I've come to a point in my comic reading life where I don't need. It's great when you have a cat's cradle of interconnected issues and something like really really crazy and wacky but going when it on. Works. When it when it works, like when I thought like. Right. Like, like for instance, House of M. You know, House of M with all the tie-ins and everything. Loved it. Thought it yep. was fabulous. So I'm down with that when, when it's done and when it works. Well, actually, my thought was even more of smaller terms. Mm-hmm. Chris Claremont's era of X-Men and New Mutants. Yeah, yeah. They were living in the same house, and you would get a New Mutant showing up here in X-Men for, you know, yep. either a panel, even whole issue, or Colossus or Nightcrawler in the, in the mansion. Absolutely. And it would kind of work because he knew exactly what month each one was coming out. And, and that's would, my point. What I'm into and what I don't mind a new team coming on and doing whatever they have to to sweep the table clear, as it will, for their own vision. Because I am such a creator-centric reader of comics, I am absolutely fine with that. I want 
I don't want a writer to be the slave of the property. I want the writer to be the master of the property. So if you're bringing in a creative team, I want the creative team to be able to say, we're going to put our vision and our stamp on this Yes and no. I go, I go yes and no. Point. You want to have that somewhat, but you also have to accept the fact that you are working on a property that exists and still has to be able to exist after you. So while you can't – I want them to go do stuff. I also want someone to come on the Spider-Man for six months and go, okay, we're going to blow up the Daily Bugle. We're going to execute J. Jonah Jameson. Aunt May is actually going to go insane and she's going to be wanting to kill him. And That's also, why you have editors. We're, gonna, we're also going to bring back on Stacy and her and Betty are going to get married. And we're going to do this and we're going to kill – I mean, not that – you know I mean? like, I, I see what I'm, you're saying. I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the two of them getting married because actually I like that idea. Yeah. <laughs> the point is you can't change every single thing and wipe out every single thing and then go, okay. That was good for my six issues. Done. Well, you you gotta have there has to be a line between yes, I want to do a story and do this, but also this thing if this thing has to exist beyond me, mm-hmm. I can't completely destroy everything, or at the very least, I have to give it enough stuff. And you also have to accept the fact that some people are going to keep reading the book when you're not there. You don't want to kind of be douche and go, I'm going to screw up everything. So this no, doesn't no, I work. hear what you're saying. So if someone's reading issues one to forty of a book. It's like well, so you got one to twenty, and then twenty-one to twenty-six is completely different. Like doesn't fit at all, and then twenty-seven to thirty, forty just goes back. But you, I completely agree with what you're saying. I think there's a low incident of that happening for the simple reason that you know clearly the company has a vested interest in that sort of thing not happening. So they're not going to hire a creative team for a book that is likely yeah. to do like I said, that. I, I like so, when they go balance, but so they can. I want that them to sort do of the thing, thing actually happened. Um, I, I was reading it not, not too terribly long ago. You have just per, almost perfectly described John Byrne's ill-fated six-issue run on The Incredible Hulk in 84 and 85, where they went to all these pains. He swapped books with Bill Mantlo, basically. Yes. Bill Mantlo went from uh, Hulk to, to uh, Alpha Flight, and Byrne went the other way from Alpha Flight to Hulk. He had all of these grandiose plans. He was going to do this amazing thing with the Hulk. And those six issues, I personally loved them. But apparently it was either um, – well, I don't think it was Denny O'Neill because Denny O'Neill came as editor, came on, and left at the same time as Byrne. So I'm thinking it was Shooter ultimately. But my point is is like someone higher up did not like what Byrne was doing with the title, unceremoniously booted him after six issues, and then we got some horrible Al Milgram penned issues until someone had the bright idea to yep. bring on Peter David and Todd McFarlane. Yes. And oh, hey – a legend was born, but my point is, you have just almost perfectly described huh. the ill-fated John Byrne run. I need run to read now some of those of, issues before, um, and then the John Byrne ones to see what the change was. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 you've just almost perfectly described it because they got like some pretty hardcore stuff. He separated the Hulk and Bruce Banner. Yes, he made. Um, Rick, isn't that when Rick Jones became a Hulk? Uh, Rick Jones became a Hulk. Um, no, actually, Milgram turned Rick Jones ah, okay. into a Hulk. But um, uh, General Thunderbolt Ross uh, uh, shot. Uh, Bruce or shot Rick Jones? Shot Rick Jones. I think that was it. Yeah, shot Rick Jones at Bruce and Betty's wedding. And then I think that's when he dies. Isn't that when he dies? Like something like, my point, yeah, yeah. And then, and then, uh, Thunderbolt Ross. Like, it's this whole thing. And like, he's really upending the whole apple cart. So anyway, that's neither here nor there. And at that point, that is 11 years in the future from what we are talking about. I digress as usual. So now it's, I think, page five. And this is like one of my pages where I have an issue with the art. That first panel, the Captain Marvel. Mm Mm-hmm. That just, you know, when Captain Marvel's changing her back into Rick Jones, uh-huh. 
that just doesn't look right. Like, those ribs, like, he's too big to have all the ribs showing. The ribs, like, throughout this issue, Starlin, at this point, has some sort of weird fetish for rib muscles, and that sort of, like, fluttering on, like, the rib cage, like, just with the bulk that he gives Captain Marvel. And then all of a sudden, like, it just goes down to a weird, weird, yeah. It's like, what's wrong? Like, Cap, are you okay? (laughs) But... I hear what you're saying, like the anatomy in that in that particular with with like these giant I don't know what the muscles are called, but these giant like the muscles around the rib cage. Yeah. Like under the arm pits. Like ah, oh, amazing. Like, but here's my but my bigger issue, as usual with this issue, I agree with you about the art, but my bigger issue is the script. Because he goes he every time, oh my god, that the he, he bangs the nega bands together, and that is a supremely lame mechanic anyway. But he bangs the nega bands together. Yeah, but I can't believe they, that from Mike because I think that happened. No, before right, him. right. And they switch places, and he has to say, dig it, man. Oh, I hate it. I hate it, hate it, hate it. And that's even with my rather, I believe, sizable capacity for giving stories allowances for the time period they were written in. That's still, oh my god, just rubs me absolutely the wrong way. So, yeah. But yeah, so that, like I said, I mean, it's not that I hate the art in this mm-hmm. issue, it's just, it's, I haven't enjoyed it, I'm not enjoying it as much as Scarlet I thought I would will I saw get Scarlet's a name. lot yeah. Oh Absolutely. yeah, I know that at least, thank God. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. this obviously, I'm looking at it, it's like I told you before, I think I was off mic though, when I was reading those issues of Avengers that had Rick Jones in it, mm-hmm. between the Kree Skull War mm-hmm. and like when Captain Marvel came back, it's like issue 100, and the artist I saw was um, Barry Windsor Smith. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ooh, I like Barry Windsor Smith. And I'm reading it, I'm like, okay, I can see where Barry Windsor Smith come, that, that I know of comes from, mm-hmm. but this is not Barry Windsor Smith. Yeah, it's like this. It, it's very, obviously, I realize it's very early work of his, and it's a lot rough. It's not as good as what it becomes. Mm-hmm. So it's a little disappointing because I'm expecting, and to be unf- a little unfairly, I'm expecting 80s, 90s, to 2000s Barry Windsor Smith, and obviously I'm getting 1971 Barry Windsor Smith. I've never, I've never been a tremendous fan of Barry Windsor Smith for the simple reason that he's always popped up in my reading at times when I wanted something else. It's like the first time I encountered Barry Windsor Smith was his uh, X-Men? fill-in issue of X-Men during the, uh, during the uh, Mutant Massacre. No, later than that. That was uh, 210 or 211. He didn't um, do those. Those were... No, no, no. He, he he did the one with Malice, where Malice took over Dazzler. Oh, that's like 213 or 214. It was like the last 214. issue. It was like the last part of that. Right. So, and at that point, I had gotten very, very used to John Romita Jr.'s art on X-Men. I had grown very, uh, I had grown to really like that vision of the X-Men. And then around that time, also, when we got a fill-in issue, it was Alan Davis doing Psylocke, joining the X-Men. Yeah. Was my the, point is... I think that's 213, maybe. Yeah. So my point is, I want John Romita Jr. or Alan Davis, and instead I get Barry Windsor Smith. And my other exposure to major exposure to Barry Windsor Smith was his early issues of Conan the Barbarian, which I go into reading wanting John Buscema, and, I and instead getting Barry Windsor Smith. So unfortunately, he is a magnificent artist, I don't, but I've never liked him pretty much because he's always what he... he I'm always more aware of who he isn't. <laughs> yeah, see, my early appearance for him was X-Men 205, which is mm-hmm. a Wolverine and Katie Power from Power Pack story. Okay. And I didn't have, I really had, like, that and, like, an issue with, like, 207 or 208 or something. Mm-hmm. The one with Wolverine on the cover with his claw going down, like, ripping the cover. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I, that was John Romero Jr., but I only had two, really, at that point. Mm-hmm. This was before I actually started getting regular books. So, he was only one of the two. I liked it. And then also the main thing I can remember reading from him was in the early 90s when he was on Val- working for Valiant and doing Archer and Armstrong, mm-hmm. which is a book 
a run I love because mm-hmm. it was beautiful and he had fun with it. It was his own little like buddy movie, buddy road movie with this kid who's really impressionable and thinks you know he's and very naive and mm-hmm. trying always to be good and do the good thing. And he's partnered with this immortal drunk. <laughs> Think Hercules, Marvel's Hercules, mm-hmm. but even being less moral. Wow, and that's hard. I, to I don't imagine. mean moral as in. I like killing people, right? But just like, yeah, let's just go to the bar and drink for a while, and um, ooh, look at those hot chicks. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And just, but just so much fun. So those two personalities, so much fun. So that's the bear. So for me, I'm all excited, and then I go, oh, I can see where it comes from. Like you can kind of see where Starlin comes from in this one, but it's mm-hmm. not to me. This isn't yet Jim Starlin. No, I, I hear exactly what you're saying, although. Um, if you go back to page three and you look at Rick Jones' face in panels two and three, the lines of his mouth and his and his eye, those are very much uh, a line uh, a line work style that you are going that that is going to be maintained in Starlin's um, look. Oh, and you can also forward. see, like you said, do see the Starlin. Look. You see Starlin there because you can also see like with his design of his aliens. That's mm-hmm. very much the design of aliens. He just kind of he doesn't always do an alien race. Mm-hmm. He just kind of does. Weird-looking things. Yes. Yes. But uh, now, as we move forward with the story, it's a little irritating because Rick Jones, um, even with Captain Marvel writing Hurt on his brain, uh, doesn't, like, stumbles completely into Master Lord's trap here. There were literally 800 things that Rick Jones and or Captain Marvel could have done like, just on their own. Like, any random thing done differently that might have happened naturally would have saved him from this trap, but almost as if he knew about it and wanted to stumble into the trap, he just blunders right on in. Actually, that kind of is what happens, though. Mm-hmm. Because, okay, he is a little shocked that he sees Luann there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then, and because I already revealed this, it's not a spoiler, because I already revealed it in the synopsis. Mm-hmm. When we get to the end of the issue, he realized it was a trap. Yes. So, he yes. Kind of, so like, we're here where he says, we're busting out and goes to clang the bands. Mm-hmm. I kind of assume, I mean, it's not 100% said, but I kind of assume that Rick was actually kind of going a little slower with that yeah. to see what would happen because he didn't want to break out. No, yet. I do not give him credit. I do not give this Rick Jones credit for that much brains. Well, because he does, because he does say at the end of the episode, at mm-hmm. the end of the issue, that mm-hmm. he was playing along. Oh, okay. Okay, I forgot. I actually forgot that. Thank you for reminding me of that because right now I'm just hating him. Yeah. Um, so I give when I read it too. I was like, "You idiot!" But then when I got to the end, when I first re- when I because re- I reread it this morning, mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh, that's right. He did know because he caught on that the cop in the dress uniform." Uh-huh. And then when the man was being weird, he's like, "Okay, I really want to know what the hell's going on here now." Yeah. So now they don't say that he does. He wasn't. And this and this is without the and this is without the the having for me having known who Luann or Professor Savannah were before this. Yeah. So, I mean, it's possible that he was actually trying to turn into Captain Marvel here, and the guy was still able to get the mm-hmm. jump on him. Mm-hmm. But based on those other things, I can kind of assume that maybe he was just letting it happen. Okay. That could, I suppose that could be, although that requires quite a leap of faith in the intelligence of uh, Rick Jones uh, here. But I suppose we'll go with it. All right. So, I guess we're done with that page, actually, because mm-hmm. it sounds like we finished it. Uh-huh. So, next page. Actually, did, did, did we, had we uh, talked about uh, Luann? 
I think we did mention Luan's Luan. a pre. Uh, okay, Luann's. I think so. Well, let's do it real quick, just in case. Yeah, I was going to say because I also have one more, one more thing to point out about this. So yeah, she was so. his girlfriend introduced like in the last few issues, right? Which I had previously. I did not read that 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 interregnum somewhere between, like between twenty one and here. Between between like the, the 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 cancellation of his first run and coming back. Yeah, because this is where this is actually where they establish Rick Jones as a guitar player. Okay, okay. Because I don't think I've ever seen him actually. Doing that beforehand, except for the harmonica and the first issue of Hulk. Well, my first introduction to him as a guitar player was uh, in uh, Alias, uh, when Jessica Jones like was tracking him down. And I'm, to come to think of it, I still forget if that was actually Rick Jones or not. That wasn't Rick Jones. Okay, that was a fake but Rick it still Jones, was, I thought so. He still did do that. He also, I remember they also established that in the Peter David run of Hulk when they brought Rick back in, is that he played gigs and stuff like that. Okay, that's fair. He was kind of like a semi-popular, I guess, folk singer. So, but this is where they established that, and that's where he meets Luann and Dr. Savannah. Right, okay, which which I sort of just kind of picked that up from the context. What actually strikes me the most about this scene, um, besides the introduction of Luann, is just how aggressive the casual police brutality is here. Like, oh, yeah. like this this cop is like, uh, you even breathe out of rhythm, punk, I'll shoot. He's like, you know, shut up, uh, blah, blah, blah. And, and then on the next page, when he drags him into the, uh, I'm sorry, it was a couple of pages later. Um, so well, I before will. you skip to the page, uh-huh. just to go with my point from before about Rick knowing, uh-huh. panel three on this page, mm-hmm. and that fine dress uniform doesn't impress me a bit. Yeah. So, he did know it was a dress uniform. Right. So, it kind of does give him the impression that he did have a clue from the beginning something was up. Okay, okay. Because it wasn't just they went back and they said, oh, let's put this in here that he knew. They actually put the dialogue in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. So then it's on the next page when he gets dragged into the uh, uh, station, and uh, uh, the even the guy, even the sergeant at the desk, who I guess recognizes the who this cop is supposed to be, although we know with you know in hindsight that he's actually uh, in disguise or whatever. Yes. But I guess he's using the 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 facade of an actual cop. He he, he pulls him in, and this, even the sergeant at the desk is like, "Got a killer, eh? We have to." question him in ironic uh, brut- police brutality quotes put him in Flynn's office and let's forget the lawyer this time and I'm like holy crap I'm like, actually, what is going on here I'm actually impressed enough because like since it's been all been revealed we know this is, this is the super scroll and that other guy I forget his name at the moment uh, uh, yeah, yeah. but the other guy is the cop Right, okay. Because he says that he was the cop. He's the one who kills the not professor. Not the super scroll, right. So that's the super scroll. I'm oh, impressed. as the sergeant? I'm impressed the super I scroll put that, that much work into his character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To, I, say, to know things like, give a name, and let's forget the lawyer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're right about that. Although, and also, uh, one other bit of dialogue on this page that strikes me here is uh, Rick Jones saying, Luann said that once, um, uh, maybe because I care. And this is apparently an important That was like one of the first dialogue. things she said to him, like, when maybe they met. Maybe because I care, and it's just so melodramatic. But he says, um, he says, Luann said that once. But now, brother, she's on the other side of the barricades. And I'm thinking, you put all this together, and there is just this real sort of sense, like, sort of just general background atmosphere of civil unrest and, you know, March for Justice kind of stuff. Well, it is like... And I'm guessing that's the early 70s. The early I'm 70s wondering... New York. It was kind of crappy, right. what I understand, and, like, not safe. No, I bl- I, I'm, I'm totally down with that. I'm just wondering, um, was is that something that Starlin was bringing 
more of to the title, or was that just sort of generally in the background of the comic book zeitgeist at the time? I don't know. I have to read more of the books then. I mean, right. I'm I, sure, I don't have the context I'm to sure, really know. I'm pretty sure Luke Cage was out by now, so I'm sure right, it was in right. his book. Right. And and you know what? But I don't I know about actually, anyone else. I actually just read for the first time the whole crisis on campus uh, of Spider-Man, Spider-Man, which is a few you know, like a year or two the before. Petrified Tablet. A few um, years before. This, oh, a few yeah. years before that was uh, 68. Yeah, 68. And this is 73. So we're like, so I'm guessing it was. Sort of in the air, but still, it, it's a little. It's interesting for me to read because. Although I will say, Luann's little comment only really makes sense as like a dig to Rick because, you know, he says, "Aren't I good enough for an answer?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe because I care. Uh-huh. Well, what the hell does that mean? Right. That makes no sense, woman. That's not what I asked you. Right. But no, I don't a different think, question. I don't think that was actually what she said here in the here in the now. I think she ignores him here in the now. I think he's just remembering her saying that okay, when she said it. That would make more sense then. Yeah. Because yeah, otherwise yeah. I'm like, what? Uh-huh. Yeah, brother, civil liberties at their height. Like what I like is that this casual that's what I'm getting at here. Is that these these are not real cops, we know. Like yes. kind of, you know. But the fact that they are acting this way. Rick just accepts it. That's how he expects police to act. That's kind of, that's what's striking me, I guess, you know? Yeah, because honestly, at this point, he doesn't know it's a scroll, so whatever mm-hmm. he thinks it is, he probably just thinks it's corrupt cops. Right, right. Like, he, Which knows I guess... he knows there's something going on, he knows there's some kind of setup, mm-hmm. but he probably just thinks it's a corrupt policeman. Yes, yes. I, I could see that. I could see that. So... Um, so now he's in jail and he's, and he's just, you know, this is why I think this whole run of Captain Marvel would have ultimately rubbed me the wrong way and I would have gotten tired and, and stopped reading it if I wasn't invested in it, like, from this vantage point for the historical value of it. The way he, like, the reliance on the mechanic of the banging the, the wristbands together, it's like, we're only half an issue in and already it's getting, um kind of kind of played out for me. So the fact that I know, you know, in, in, in hindsight, that they had to build entire issues around having to build in the going back and forth and the finding ways and opportunities for him to clang them together, and it's just, I, that would have gotten real old real quick for me at the time as a first blush reader. Just something I, I sort of, you know, I'm okay. already like, so I'm already sort of tired of it. But again, because I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with it because I want to get to all the good Thanos stuff. Yes. And Starlinverse stuff. But so, man, deal, the, deal. Rick, Rick and Kappa are losing me fast. That's just my, uh, and, uh, that, that's just my opinion. Uh, I'm entertained. Yeah, uh, okay. Well, good. So, One of now, us is. So anyway, he breaks through those handcuffs, although it takes him a little bit because mm-hmm. they've established in the last issue too, he's, Weakening. It seems like he's lost half his power. Right. That's one of the ongoing things going on here. Yep. Yeah. And um, now, of course, but and also probably because these handcuffs are probably not regular handcuffs. I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. They're probably mm-hmm. scrawly. Scrawly and or Thanosy. Yes. Even, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's a spoiler. Master, Master Lordy. Lordy. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so now we get him. All of a sudden, he's attacked by Ronan. Ro- Ronan the accuser. Right. Ha- hangs out in you know New York precincts. Exactly. Ronan you know? the accuser. And I return to sentence you to excruciating death. And that's my best Lee Pace impression there, yeah. you know? And then, of course, he vanishes with a pop, like the aliens in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, we have the... Right, the impossible man disappears again. Yeah, with a little... Sound. Yep. <laughs> Insanity reigns tonight 
And I cannot say I live untouched. Oh, God. The dialogue. Make it stop. I know. Some of it's pretty bad. <laughs> and then he gets another pass foe, Megaton, uh-huh. who dies. I don't know who that is. He died in the one issue, so okay. who cares? For Megaton blocks your way. I forget. Not to be confused with Olivier Megaton. Or Megatron. The director, the director oh. of the Taken films. Oh, is that the name of the director? Yes, it Olivier Megaton. Or Megatron, I was thinking. Right, right. From Megatron. Transformers. Yes. I should hear you, Optimus Prime. Sorry. <laughs> uh-huh. And then he turns into, Jan, and then all of a sudden, now we get Yon Rog. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And then the Hulk. Uh huh. I mean, basically just a fight scene where every time. A best of. And then, oh, wait, now we have Eye of the Ancient Archon, you know? Yeah. And Zarek, who I think actually, I might have been wronged earlier in the episode mm-hmm. when I said it was uh, Jan Rog and Ronin who were setting him up trying to overthrow the Supreme Intelligence. Okay. I think it might have been Zarek. Zarek of the Supreme Kree who I again have never seen before like uh, Megaton and uh, the other one. Uh, no, Megaton I'd never seen before and I'd never seen Zarek before. Or Metazoid? Um, or Metazoid. Who the hell is that? Now, I forget which one he was. He was early in the run. He was back when he still was a... Uh, Oh, that's right. I forgot to completely drop the Dr. Dr. Walter Lawson That's part. what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, I forgot because I was saying the Archon also uh, uh, cl- uh, hail from the awesome, what I consider the awesome Walter Lawson uh, days. That's right. Because, yeah, he I really was enjoyed impersonating because yeah. he happened to just look like the, sci- the scientist who happened to, I forget, die somehow when Marvel No, no. Him. It was when Marvel, when yon sent Marvel into on down to Earth. I may be misremembering, but I'm pretty sure it was Marvel's entry capsule that interfered with uh, uh, Lawson's plane oh, and, and caused, caused the plane crash. So Marvel was actually the cause of his death, responsible for Lawson's death. Well, it turns out Lawson was a dick. So it's well, okay. <laughs> he was a dick, but we did not know that at the time. Well, we found out later, and coincidentally, they looked exactly alike. Yes. How? Well, what are the odds? Wait. No, I don't think they looked exactly alike. I think it was that there was no picture of Lawson. Right. They had not he had not actually made it to the base to be no introduced had, yet, no so one no one knew so what he was Lawson able to, looked he was like able, yet. That's right. It, at least I mean yes. that's still a little fishy, but at least it's better than we happen to look identical. Right, exactly. But then over along the way, what, uh, they just kind of ignored that completely. They just dropped the Lawson part eventually. Right. It, it, it went the way it went the way of everything else with like they really well, did they just kind of dispense with Una and yeah and around that same time even Jan Rog to an extent. Well, they killed him too. Yes, it, around that same issues. Mm-hmm. But once they re- revealed that he was a basically a villain, yeah, I think he was like, okay, I don't care anymore about this guy. You know, he's wanted. He's really dead. Who cares? Who cares? And and here, like, and finally, after the Arcani fights Namor, and what I like here is uh, like how we, the asterisk uh, caption box from the editor reads, and I like this from various mags. Take our word for it. It's like it's too much to even like get into. I like that. Even though it's all really just Captain Marvel, right? Exactly. But I guess issues, various issues of Captain yeah. Marvel. <laughs> Oh, okay. Okay, we're good. So then apparently we get one more or two more people that mm-hmm. show up, his greatest enemies, and of mm-hmm. course Cap apparently is freaking out. Right. And turns into Rick, back into Rick Jones and passes out. No, you can't be. No, 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 no. no. Hands on his head all free. Yeah, I know. Like, ah! like the classic, no.
<laughs> that was the, the this dramatic reading brought to you by. And then the next panel, we just get the flash of light because they're changing, and we get like a Charlie Brown. Arg! Arg! Yes, exactly. Uh, Which I have to see if I can find and drop in. Yes, yes. You, you. Arg! Captain Marvel disappears, and Rick Jones returns. It is as we wished. He is completely broken. Place him on the psychoprobe. Oh, I love psychoprobes. Oh, actually, the... I love I love the mental torture helmets that are like a, a sci-fi staple. Although so, sometimes like little things like they're not important, but they bother. It's like a little annoying. It's like the psychoprobe's a helmet. Mm-hmm. You don't place him on the psychoprobe. Right. You put the psychoprobe on him. Yeah, psychoprobe. Captain Marvel is defeated. Um, so, but yeah, so, and we see that the people who are supposed to be the greatest enemies are Rick Jones and Captain Marvel mm-hmm, himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <gasps> Applied the shattering ego blow. This, see, this is, this was when we were starting to get into that freaky psych, psychotherapy stuff that, yeah. That, that, yeah. And we get, we reveal that it's a super scroll and, um, oh, that's it. Scrag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. An excellent plan I designed. You? It's success lies only in my warrior strength. And here we go. Isn't it's Scrag- Megatron and Starscream all over again. You know? Isn't Scrag the name of the living molehill? Couldn't or a living mountain? Living mountain? I don't I don't know either of those characters. It was one of those old Atlas monster characters that John Byrne brought back for the She-Hulk series. Oh. I Scrag didn't. the living hill, I think. Scrag the living hill, oh good lord. Maybe. It's okay. close. Yeah. But yeah, it's one of those things with, you know, lots of vowels. Let's throw a couple extra vowels and, you know, consonants in there and make it an alien word. Mm-hmm. I like, and so, so moving on, I like, I like that the Super Scroll thinks this is going to go over just fine. He's like, yeah, let's change back, and then you can report to Master Lord that the victory was mine. It's like, really, you think that's going to go over okay? That that's not going to start a fight? After the two of you were just arguing about who it was, and yeah. you're going to let somebody else I, I, not very bright. That's why I was actually impressed with him as the sergeant, because pre-annihilation, mm-hmm. the Super Scroll is basically an ambitious, vicious thug. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Post-annihilation, they gave him a bit more. They gave him some honor and right. some intelligence, and they right. made him more... Because they made him... Because he had his own miniseries, so they made him more of a se- of a central character. Right. Instead of just bad guy. Right, exactly. Now, um, actually, was... I guess that was... No. Was it post-annihilation? Because well, during annihilation, I meant I was that's what happened. Say, because... because pr- uh, Instance of the Super Scroll that I read was his uh, in the uh, family Family Matters was that the name of the arc in Young Avengers and he oh that was seen, after but that's after that I was think. that after Annihilation I thought yeah. it was because it was before Civil War so that had to have been probably oh four oh five at the at the at the latest and I was under the impression Annihilation was like oh six oh seven you got your phone right yes I do look up uh, Young Avengers okay see when that title was and I'm gonna look up uh, Annihilation okay. I don't want to Here we go. Before. Young Avengers uh, debuted in uh, 2005. So that arc was like uh, roughly uh, um, um, numbers uh, 8 through 12. So that would have been, well, you know, like early 2006 probably. According to this, the whole Annihilation story starts with is in, uh, starts November 2005. Oh, okay. So, so I that think would they have been con- right around the same time. They were, it was either right after or concurrent. Okay. So it was around the same time. Okay. That's fair. So that makes sense why they would, you know... But yeah, I mean, like maybe I missed something. It's mm-hmm. not like I've read every Super Skull appearance, but right, whatever right, I've right. seen of him always goes with this version of him. Okay, you that's know, fair. He's a dumb thug. Yes, but he's a powerful thug and he's ambitious. Right. Yes, and then as uh, as pretty much that that had described the entirety of the Kree. Yeah, you know, I mean, sorry, not the Kree, the Skrulls. That's until, it. Uh, I knew you meant by it, but right. 
But then po- once Annihilation happened, they gave him some characterization. He had some honor. Mm-hmm. You know, there was more to him. So even if they, they used, you know, not so much that you could never use him as a villain, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. at least you would have a little bit more. He's a, he's a more in depth character. Yeah, now. he became a little more in depth. And if they ever use him as not a villain, you could at least see it as opposed right. to going well. Because right now, this guy, you're like, why the hell would he never do anything that's not just, you know, this looks the guy who like likes to torch puppies for fun. Exactly. Exactly. You know, the one that after annihilation would see no need to do that. It's a you know unless he had to get rid of it somehow. He's like it's a harmless creature. I don't have no need to kill this thing. Okay. You know, that's there's fair. no honor in killing this little pathetic you know thing. That's fair. So now they're fighting. They're fighting for Master Lord's benefit. Blah. Yeah, and we get the recap, and we get we get a whole like you not know, really a recap, you, but the background. Of right, what exactly. Happened. As you know, here's what we actually did off screen. Yeah, it's like it's like I said, Scrag is the one that turns into the officer and kills Savannah. Mm-hmm. So now we learn that Luann was in fact under Master Lord's control when she, you know, appeared as a witness against Rick. Yes. And then that they were using they were using their scroll abilities to change to change into all mm-hmm. the bad guys. But since mm-hmm. Super Scroll has all the Fantastic Force powers, mm-hmm. he made them invisible, so okay. you didn't see them change. Right. I don't know why the pop sound shows up. Uh, just they I don't guess. explain that. But instant psychosis resulted. He's now helpless as a child, and they're still fighting. Blah blah blah. And then we I like that. And then as they're talking, I mean, looking all of a sudden, Rick Jones is uh-huh. standing there with the helmet in his hand, going, uh-huh. "So that's what this gadget's all about." Love that. Now, that was a good this, reveal. Earlier, Arnold's complained about whiny Rick. Mm-hmm. I like this Rick. Right, right here. that's the Rick we want to see. You yeah. know, too bad it needed a truly wiped out mind to work. Yeah. Impossible. I planned everything. Yeah, grainy, but not enough. Um, Tiny things like an on-beat cop in a dress uniform and this rundown office. The, the city, city ain't that broke. broke because New York was pretty much Good broke call, in the seventies. Yeah. yeah, I remember Good reading call. about that. You know, different things that like in the seventies, like New York was pretty much like mm-hmm. bankrupt. Now, now here I like this, and this is this is a way of Rick speaking that 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 I'm going to get back to in a couple of pages. But see, you see, you killed a good man. No, you killed a man, a good man. I got mad, and when Rick Jones is mad, so's Captain Marvel. Yeah, you know, and so I like that. Uh, that's a, that's a very sort of classic, almost golden agey kind of. Oh, that's uh, exactly what I was thinking of because uh, I was rereading uh, this last night. Right, that's almost a, a golden agey kind of like scene. There, you know, and then he just leaps forward and decks the bad guy. That looks like to me like a panel that could have been like in a golden age issue yes. of Superman. Yes, exactly. You, know? you see, you know, Clark Kent sees something going on with the bad guys, you know, kidnappers, you know, kidnapping Lois, and this looks like a job for. And then you see Superman. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Punching somebody in the face. And this now was this the reveal for everybody, reader and character alike, when the when Scrag says. Captain Marvel's full powers return. The sun must have risen. Well, a few pages ago, they said. I mean, it was somewhere early in this issue that they they theorized that it's because of the sun. Oh, okay. Scratch so this wasn't the first. So this wasn't like, oh, we knew this and we weren't telling you, and now we have inadvertently let Captain Marvel know that that is the source of his powers weakening. Ah! I don't think Captain Marvel knew it yet exactly. Okay. Here, I mm-hmm. theorized photon ray bombard. Oh yeah, because. Earlier, when they met Professor Savannah a few issues ago, mm-hmm. Rick was in pain. He mm-hmm. was like dying, you know, he was in pain. And it had something to do with the bonding process. Okay. You know, because why not? Mm-hmm. And of course, the professor has works on some kind of photon ray thing, okay. which he uses because, well, every scientist is like, well, whatever I do, we'll fix everything. Exactly, exactly. And it did fix it, but it caused Captain Marvel's powers to be weakened a lot of times. And Scrag, it says in his little 
Like I said, it wasn't a flashback, more like a behind-the-scenes thing. Like, this is what we were really doing. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. I theorized photon ray bombardment altered Captain Marvel's atomic structure. Ah, yes, 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 I remember that now. Causing his body to convert yes. sunlight into superpowered energy. So like Superman, he's solar-powered. Or sunspot. Or sunspot, yes. However, come nightfall, in the absence of direct sunlight, he loses about half his powers. But of course... Or Bruce Banner in the first six issues. Yes. Oh, wait a minute. That's... And of course, in the 70s fashion, though, the moment the sun goes down, he loses them all. Yes. And the moment the sun shows up, even though he's inside... He gets them all back again. Right. Because it's like magic like that. You know, at least... I mean, like I said with Sunspot, because I've been rereading new, early New Mutants. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he talk, they talk like when it's night, he has reserve of power, but... You know, eventually it'll go away. Or if he's it's away lot, from... Yeah. Or if he's inside or up underground where he has no sunlight... And they even do an issue where, like, the sun comes up and he's like, I have my, you know, I can use my power again, but I'm not at full strength yet because it's just come up. Here, of course, as soon as the sun comes up, he's like, full power. Yeah, exactly. It's like spinach for Popeye. Yes, exactly. Uh, I will I will say, I mean, clearly Claremont was better at handling those sort of things but than that's Friedrich also slash. But years later. That's true. Uh, Starlin. That's true, too. That's true, too. You got to get make allowances for the time. You make a little period. bit of allowance for the time period. I mean, sometimes you're still like, oh, Really? That yeah, no, that's dumb no matter what. Yeah. But you know? you, but times you're like, okay, I gotta, you know, at least we're doing something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like we said earlier about the Bronze Age, Silver Age girlfriend, you know, it was progress. It was something. Yes. It's not what we, would, you know, would expect now. Not, not now, right. But on the way. Right. So now we just get into a nice big chatty punch him up yep, between Captain Marvel and the Super Scroll. Because Scrag is too much of a little pansy. Yes. He looks kind of like with that eye patch thing, though. His bald head looks kind of like Blofeld, I think, mm-hmm. from James Bond. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, Captain Marvel, I expect you to die. die. And we're both, we're both pitting Which, the imaginary That was cats. actually Goldfinger who oh. said that, but close enough. Blofeld's you know? a fun, more, more fun name to say. Oh, that. no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, no, Kree is an equal of the Skrull. No, you're wrong. I am Kree. I am better than you. Blah, blah, blah. Punch, punch, punch. Um, fight, but it's a, it's a decent fight, though. It's a, it's a good fight. It gives us three pages of, su- of supreme fisticuffs and then Finally, it's not just punching. I mean, like they're chucking. He chucks Captain Marvel to a wall, and mm-hmm. Captain Marvel then like jumps on his back and puts him in a chokehold. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's something more than just hit, hit, right. Hit. And 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 I like that they are you know speechifying at each other the whole time, and then they break the building. Basically, down. The, the 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 fight brings the building down around their ears. And so finally you've got the remains of this building, smoking debris, and then finally the scroll, the super scroll emerges. I, among the stars, there is a law. Only the mighty survive. Not only in the stars. Survival of the fittest there, Mr. Super Scroll. Yeah. And I am alone. When you're an alien, everything's from the stars. Mm Mm-hmm. Apparently. Yeah. You know, or it's not even like there's a saying on my world. No, no, you're just from the stars. So Scrag ran like a little, you know... Yeah, like no Scrag too escaped before the building collapsed. Fled, you meant coward. Irrelevant. Where is Captain Marvel? <laughs> Captain, I like and I like I like this. It is obvious Marvel is dead. <sighs> really? How many times have you been through this Super Scroll? Come on. Uh, he's also egotistical. Yes. Oh my God. Well, they both are. Apparently, it is yeah. a racial quality of scrolls. Um yeah. But they disappear. They use their little transporter. Pop, pop. Well, apparently that also teleports. Yes. And then Rick uh, survived. Captain Marvel and Rick survived. 
And they get out, and Rick now wants to know what happened. Mm-hmm. And, and here's and he's also battle damage, which is right. something a lot of times you might not have seen earlier in the Silver Age. Yeah, no, he's got you can see like his clothes ripped. He's it's battle damage, Rick Jones. And and he sort of states where we are now. And this is my favorite bit. This this line of dialogue really stuck with me because just the word choice just seemed very interesting. He's like. Um, and why I keep hearing the words, maybe because I care. A warm, loving chick shafted me last night. That is such an, a, a, a unique line of dialogue. I can't think of, like, I'm pretty sure that if you Googled, like, you know, if you Googled that exact phrase, you this would be sh- the only instance in the history of English language usage that that exact combination of words would come up. It's such a unique phrase. Well, warm, loving chick shafted me I would me say, last though, night. a lot of things will come up, I think, and you better not, you know, just Google this at work. <laughs> that's that's my, my point. I'm, my thing is, I think Rick Jones should have had a, a safe word with Luann. <laughs> so, and that burns me. Bad, man. Bad. Rick, jo- yeah, Rick Jones is very much a, 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 a hip street kid of the early 70s. Dig? Oh, either that, Sorry. I was going to say, Rick Jones not only needs to have a safe word, but he also needs to, you know, Vaseline. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I do not need to go there. So that that and that brings us to the end of Captain Marvel number twenty five. Yes. Next, there ain't nothing dangerous like the real thing, baby. That's a little clunky too, but yeah. um, you know, we'll, we'll we'll go with it. So basically, uh, this was fun though. You know, it's like it's fun only the actually okay. It's fun knowing that Thanos is involved and that this is like an early. Uh, this is one of the early chapters of what would become the Thanosverse, the Starlinverse, blah, blah, blah. So yeah. knowing its place in history, so to speak, this was fun. Had I been reading this at the time, I think I probably would have found it a little more tedious. So uh, historical hindsight definitely benefited this issue for me. Yeah, but that's the issue at least. Mm-hmm. And real quick, if anyone is interested in reading this, its issue has been reprinted a lot. A lot. You can find it in the Avengers of Thanos trade paperback. Which is where I am reading it. Yep. You can find it in black and white, a little cheaper, in Essential Captain Marvel Volume 2. Mm-hmm. You can also find it in, if it's, you can find it somewhere, because I think this trade is out of print, the Life and Death of Captain Marvel trade paperback. Okay. Or the Life of Captain Marvel trade paperback. Okay. And it's also in the Marvel Masterworks Captain Marvel. Volume uh, 3. Volume 3. You also can find it in Life of Captain Marvel number 1, if you want to look in the back issues. Okay. Because apparently they did a Life of Captain Marvel miniseries featuring just some of like, the highlights. Maybe, okay, like, like, big... a, like a sort of Captain Marvel saga kind of deal. Yeah, especially with the, the, the Thanos issues. And so that was the life of, that's what's reprinted in the Life of Captain Marvel trade. And then after the uh, death of Captain Marvel came out, they, re- they redid the trade with that in it. Mm-hmm. Hence why one's called the Life of and one's called the Life and, and death. death of. Right, exactly. And then, of course, you can find it digitally on Comicology.com. Comicsology and Comicology. also Marvel Unlimited. Yep. While attending a demonstration in radiology, student Peter Parker was bitten by a spider which had accidentally been exposed to radioactive rays. Through a miracle of science, Peter soon found that he had gained the arachnid's powers and had, in effect, become a human spider. Stan Lee presents... Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size, catches seeds, just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. 
Welcome to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, where every month I and some friends will be discussing every book, every guest appearance, and every cameo we can find of our favorite web slinger, the Amazing Spider-Man. Are you tired of arguing over whether Ben Riley should have taken over the webs? Do you grow weary of the brand new day with all of its controversy? Then return with us to the early days. Return with us to the classics. Amazing Spider-Man Classics at Amazing Spider-Man. Dot Libsyn dot com. Life is a great big pain. Wherever there's a pain, you'll find the Spider-Man. Do sit in there. So now we're going to do Adam. Oh, well, actually, not Adam's. We're just going to do <laughs> friends and enemies. Friends and enemies of Adam, Captain Marvel, and Thanos. I'm not adding Captain Marvel in there because oh, okay. that's too many more, more books to do. I'm just doing friends and enemies. That's of, it. Friends of Adam, enemies of Thanos. How pretty about much. that? Okay. Yeah, so anywhere that. Adam Warlock or Thanos has already appeared, and we're going to see where their books are at currently. Currently. Currently with Captain Marvel 25. Exactly. Concurrent. The Fantastic Four issue was number 132, which was Omega, the Ultimate Enemy by Roy Thomas and John Buscema. Uh, involved the mysterious Omega had captured Crystal. She's a member of the of the FF at this point, I right? I think so. Uh, Sue Storm is on one of her leaves of abs, motherhood leaves. You know, yeah, maternity she wasn't pregnant leaves. anymore, so she was either on maternity leave or she was pissed at Reed. Or pissed at Reed. Both happened. Yeah. Um, so Omega, the ultimate enemy, uh, captures Crystal, is confronted by Johnny and Pietro, while the rest of the Great Refuge waits with bated breath. What is the source of power for this maleficent being, and can our heroes discover it in time? Ooh. And Incredible Hulk number 161, Beyond the Border Lurks Death, by by Steve Englehart and Herb Trimpey. The Hulk has found his way to Canada, though he's a bit hazy as to why. Meanwhile... Hulk not know why he in Canada. Hulk not know much. Hulk just want to rest. I know why Hulk was in Canada. Delicious hostess for pies. Ah, (laughs) brilliant. (laughs) Meanwhile... Beast and Vera are making their own trek to the Great White North for similarly dubious reasons. Oh, I read this issue. It was reprinted in um, uh, the Marvel Masterworks run of uh, X-Men. The oh, original was. X-Men run. The original run of X-Men through its uh, original 1970 cancellation was uh, uh, Marvel Masterworks X-Men Volume 6. Oh, they actually did it like all the in-between stuff? And then Marvel Masterworks X-Men Volume 7 and 8 covered all the appearances of the X-Men... And the various individual X-Men. So in uh, Captain America, the Secret Empire. The whole whole Secret Empire running in Captain America, uh, Beast's solo adventures in Amazing Adventures where he became blue and And then he he shows up like Hulk once or twice. Um, The couple of Marvel team-ups where Spider-Man either teams up with or fights Iceman and or Angel or whoever. I know he teamed up with, I think, all of them in issue four. Well, except for Beast Mm -hmm. in issue four, and they actually don't have costumes. I think it's against Morbius. Yes, yes. And then... Because actually it was Roy Thomas's Planet I'm reading. Because I read that one in uh, Marvel Tales when they were reprinting it. Right, right, right. Exactly. They had a run. They were printing all the X-Men appearances. Mm-hmm. And they actually, I think in the back that Roy Thomas wanted to... It, that was his way of me thinking, maybe we'll bring back the X-Men this way, but plain clothes. Right. Because they figure with... Scott being a guy, Jean's a girl, Bobby uses an ice and Angel's wings. There was uh-huh. enough difference that you didn't need costumes. Didn't need to see. Right, no, that's exactly it. And, and I'm pretty sure um, this issue of Incredible Hulk was in there because there were a couple of issues of Incredible Hulk that involved the Beast and Mimic yeah. at a cabin in Canada. And that's... Uh, that's probably what this is. Yes. 
So I'm almost sure that I read this one. I'll have to find that eventually. Okay, so Iron Man number 56, which followed on from Iron Man 55. So it's only been a month since Thanos has appeared. It first appeared. Iron Man number 56 was Rasputin's Revenge by Steve Gerber and art by Jim Starlin. Mm -hmm. Uh, Returning from his recent battle against, guess who? The Blood Brothers and Thanos. (laughs) Iron Man seeks out his fellow Avengers to tell them about Thanos. Uh, He finds the mansion empty, so he enjoys a, a little walk in Central Park that turns out typically to be more eventful than uh, he anticipated. I'm guessing this is a. Uh, I believe who was this the first appearance of some of Rasputin or was this Rasputin from? No, that was Merlin. I'm sorry, I'm thinking about Merlin, the mutant magician from Thor, oh, okay. the early days of Thor. Yeah. So that's not. This is Rasputin. Okay. I'm sure uh, yeah, I'm not sure if this is the Rasputin from Russia, the historical <laughs> one, or yes. just using the name. Okay. I have no clue. But yeah, we also have Marvel Premiere, number seven, because that's where Adam's title kind of started. Okay. The Shadows of the Star Zone by Gardner Fox and P. Craig Russell. Gardner Fox and P. Craig Russell. Wow. I want to check this out. I have to check that issue out just for the talent. I know. Finding clues on a map after his most recent battle, Doctor Strange sets out to England in the hopes of preempting the return of the nefarious Shumagoroth. Oh, Shumagoroth, yes. Before that can happen, however, Strange must contend with Dogoth. Seaborn. Oh, this is this is. They were taking a lot of inspiration from Lovecraft at this oh, point. Yeah. You know, well, I'm trying to remember. Was it Gardner Fox? I know somebody there, like at DC, who worked at DC mm-hmm. early on. Then, or maybe Julius Schwartz was like a literary agent for actually a lot of those pulp writers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, they did have connections to them of not just oh, I was a fan and I read his stuff, but mm-hmm. they actually knew or were involved with them somehow. Because, I mean, Gardner Fox is not some young 20-year-old guy. No, 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 hell, at this point. He was a Golden Age writer. I think he wrote a lot of um, Justice Society stories. That's probably true. I mean, I know of him primarily. I believe he wrote both the Silver Age rebirths of, or the Silver Age uh, creations of both the uh, Barry Allen Flash and the uh, Hal uh, Jordan Green Lantern. I'm reasonably sure those were both his, uh, his creations. So Well, it does say here, notable works, Golden Age, Dr. Fate, Flash, Hawkman, okay. JSA, Star- Sandman and Starman, Silver Age, no, it says notable works, not creations. Okay. Silver Age, Adam, Batgirl, Hawkman, Just Leave America, Zatanna. Okay. So, yeah, I mean. You could see that, so that's cool. Nice. And then finally, in Thor number 209... Uh, Warriors in the Night by Jerry Conway and John Buscema. Uh, Thor continues his search for the Lady Sif, traveling across the Atlantic to England. Oh, that must have been fun. And arriving, he stirs a force that has slept for generations. Zounds! What shall happen to the Thunder God? For that, So that's Thor number 209. Oh, wow. Meanwhile, <laughs> no, no, back Gard- in Gardner Foxland. Well, he was actually wrote early, very early Batman. In fact, he wrote... Um he introduced the first use of the utility belt. Oh, cool. Okay. As well as writing the first usages of both the bat- Batarang and the Bat-Gyro. Okay. Which is like, you know, we used before the Bat-Copter. I can't, I can't hear all that Bat-whatever without hearing Adam West saying, yeah. this Bat-Joker uh, repellent and this Bat- Shark repellent. The Bat-Shark repellent. There's never a bomb around when you... Tell you, what was you it? just can't get some days. Just can't get rid of a bomb. Oh, that's what which is what is, they yeah. pretty much did in the end of uh, Dark Knight Rises, <laughs> which I didn't say. Oh, well, I didn't watch that one. Well, if you do, basically just know that. I it. know I need to turn in my comic book nerd cred eh. immediately. I did not no, watch the. That's last, all right. It was know, okay. Nolan Batman film. It was okay. You know, I'm a Marvel zombie. Just I deal with it. I don't like Batman Begins. 
Okay, that's fair. Which I I wasn't crazy about it either. Which is probably why I wound up not watching either of the other either of the other two. No, no one's. Oh my god, what is that, Brian? You're admitting on national podcasting <laughs> sound that you've never seen the Dark Right. What no, Dark Right? Dark Knight. Why I've never so seen the Dark Right either. <laughs> why so serious? I will say that was a good movie. I like Dark Knight. A I lot. know it's supposed to be a good movie. Everyone who's seen it apparently liked it. I just never got around to it. Oh crap. We actually have a new iTunes review. Excellent. It's not really new. It's from September. I'm just a guest host, so, you know, this is not uh, so much, but excellent. <laughs> but I'm backed up. I'm reading them, but it's uh, five stars. Uh-huh. GeekPod approved by oh, GeekPod. Sweet. Really enjoying the look back into the history of one of my favorite cosmic characters, right behind Nova. Uh-huh. This pod is partly responsible for pushing me to start my own podcast, GeekPod. Excellent. And I've listened to a few episodes of GeekPod. I mean, I'm not fully up there, but they only have like seven or eight anyway. Mm-hmm. Not bad. It's actually kind of a two guys, a mix of a sports and comics. Oh, I like Podcast. I like. So it's like a sports geek and a comic geek. Nothing. There's nothing better though. Congratulations so, to you, Al, because there's nothing better than inspiring somebody else to do this. I mean, I I I sent you know a shout out to. Uh, uh, I'll I'll tell you, it was the fantastic cast that inspired me to get into comic book podcasting. I gave you know a big shout out to them when I started you know uh, my most recent uh, comic book podcast, which I will promote in just a moment. Yes, but uh, uh, really, uh, so. You know, and I know that they were very grateful and everything. And, uh, man, if anybody ever told me that I had inspired them to start their yeah, that's own pretty cool. comic podcast, I would be over the moon. So congratulations to you. There ain't nothing better than that, Al. Yeah. So, so. thanks, guys. Thanks, GeekPod. And, yeah, if anyone's interested in um, sports and comics, then go yes. listen because go they listen. talk about both. All right, so that's pretty much it. So, Brian, let anyone know where they can find you. Uh, You can find me mostly on the Podwitz Podcast Network. I'm a regular on the Podwitz Podcast, the classic uh, old original that's been going for about three and a half years now. We're uh, getting up there. Oh, wow. Um, You're old. We are all getting... getting... In internet years, you're like 10. I know, right? In internet years, right? That one's at podwitz.com. And we've got a whole little network of podcasts going on, lots of good stuff. So you can hear me um, also. uh, My primary other podcast is Wahoo, the Sergeant Fury podcast, where I kind of do what Alan and I are doing here, but for Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, the great old Marvel Comics War, World War II comic. Uh, that's me and my buddy Dion Baia, and you can find that one at furycast.podwits.com. You can also uh, hear Alan and me talking general purpose comics talk. Uh, very soon, we'll be relaunching and like getting that one uh, up and running again. It's been on a bit of a hiatus, but the older episodes are still there. That one's at uh, that one's called Four Color Fanboys, and that one's at fourcolor.podwits.com. Both of those uh, podcasts are also on iTunes, so you can go there to check those out. And finally, you can hear me every other month talking Superman comics with my other Podwits buddy, Jay Marcus, on the Planet Podcast, which is at superman.podwits.com. But um, that one is not yet on iTunes as far as I know, so you have to go to the website to check that one out. So... That's it. That's uh, I think that's all I got. Slacker. I know. Right? <laughs> I'm not podcasting nearly enough. No. No. If you feel the need to find me someplace besides here, you can find me, along with my Thanos, the Infinity Revolution co-host Brian, on Four Color Fanboys, where we are currently talking about the Warren Ellis run of Marvel's Excalibur. You can find the show on iTunes or fourcolor.podwits.com. As far as this show... If you feel so inspired, there are a few ways you can contact us. You can send an email at resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com or just leave an iTunes review. Either one will be greatly appreciated and will be read on the air. 
And be sure to check out the show's Tumblr page, where I post images from the issues we review at resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright or trademark infringement is meant or intended or planned. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. Hit the play button. Ah, now I am seeing. Now I am seeing. I am seeing words showing. Words. Sound is being picked up and recorded, and right now I don't want to be swallowing the mic and overwhelming it and popping my. No. Yeah, exactly. See, see, and have that happening. I'm turning to Kevin Smith. I am. No. Yeah, I am. Okay, so we are here to do some Captain Marvel. Oh boy. All right. Oh boy, do I have. Oh boy, do I have thoughts on this one. Well, let's do the introduction and we'll start. Oh, if you have to introduce the... Yeah, no, introduce away because boy, do I have... And boy, do I have stuffs. <laughs> well, this is the outtake stuff. So that's yeah, cool. I know, exactly. Uh, that's why I'm just, I'm just sort of getting into it because, oh boy. I like the outtake stuff. The last episode actually ended with an outtake of John laughing maniacally. Ah, I, I started doing that on my Fury podcast as well where I uh, we, we, we had this one bit where... Uh, where I'm very predictable sometimes. If somebody says a certain uh, uh, combination of words, like my wife or one of my other Podwits podcasters can always, like, they, they pretty much know what I'm about to respond because, it, it, like, the, the quote is almost obligatory. So we were, um, Dion was, uh, we were doing a Fury cast and Dion was trying to remember the name of some famous military event other um some famous it was called the something run the something run and no i don't mean the kessel run in 12 parsecs i think i heard and, it. i remember that yeah right and and it was just it was such a moment that i just excised it out and made it a cold open it was great <laughs> so if you want to hear that let's check out uh, uh furycast.podwits.com and uh, you'll 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 hear that because it was funny and we are all about the larfs here on uh, our our little uh, grouping of podcasts aren't we yep okay so anyway i'm sorry i'm usurp i'm totally usurping your authority eh. I am, to- I am totally uh, 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 taking uh, over your podcast. You don't want that. Eh, it goes in the um, <laughs> back matter. No yes. one pays attention. No one pays attention to that. Anyway. Not even me. Mm-hmm. All right. Like the other two are always very um, conscientious about getting it up at 10 a.m. Saturday mornings, which is our customary time. 
Me, I'm always like, ah, it's the weekend. I don't feel like it. So usually, like, sometimes Sunday evenings when the podcast goes up when it's my turn. But um, this week, um, I actually, Jay and I, like, were, were, like, on the line and talking first. And Dion didn't show up until 15 minutes later. So I wanted to bring it in closer to when Dion uh, uh, showed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I actually... Um, <clears throat> Uh, closer to when Dion showed up. So for the flow, I, I sort of brought it in there, like like led the uh, opening theme into there. But still, we had like that 15 minutes and there were some good bits in there. So I shamelessly just cut, paste, and jigsawed together about like, you know, 30 seconds of good stuff. And then yeah. like stuck it at the top as a cold open. There you go. So <laughs> I am all about the editing around. Oh, yeah, I, the editing uh, around I appreciate it. It's entertaining. Uh-huh. When you figure out what you're doing, you're like, oh, I can do this. Exactly. And I can cut out that bit, and I can make this bit sound like I actually knew what I was talking about instead of being a derp, derp, derp. Yep. <laughs> okay. Which is rare. <laughs> yeah, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Meanwhile, Beast and Vera are making their own trek to the Great White North. For... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you takes. Let's try that again. So, where was I? Oh yeah, I forgot to have a look at my notes. Oh okay. <laughs> I have the wrong page up here. Just you have the I wrong didn't... piece of paper in front of you. Oh okay. Okay, so yeah, so yeah, we're fine then. Good. Okay, okay we're good. So uh, 